0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty.
1: And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about one of our favorite topics, soil sampling. We get to answer lots of questions here about soils every day. And so our topic will be a little bit about that, but more about just how we, we would encourage you to take samples. So in other words, um, how do you probe depth, how how small or large should your grids or zones be, things like that. So we'll get to all that in the show today. If you've got any questions for us about soils or anything that's going on in your farm, just give us a call here, 844 44 AGPHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or brine hefty. All right, so with soil sampling, I'll just give you a few things to start, and then we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. First of all, when you're sampling, we really encourage you go to a GPS point. Regardless of your grid or zone size, pick a GPS point in each grid or zone. You go there, drive right to it, and then pull soil cores, let's call it five or ten feet around that that spot and the reason why you want to do that is because now you have an exact spot you know what the soil is right there then you can match that to yield from your yield monitor it's powerful stuff if you can start matching up lots of soil test points with your yield points and then you can really see which fertility things are paying for in your farm and uh, which things aren't paying for you so anyway that's that's the first thing second thing, how big or small should your grids or zones be? So this is my opinion. I think you want to start small, at least the first time. So in other words, I want one acre grids. That's what I would do. So if I'm your agronomist, I'm going to tell you, hey, we're doing one acre grids. And you're going to probably push back and say, number one, either, oh, it's too expensive, or number two, it's going to take too much time. Look, You don't have to do all your ground in one year or anything like that, but over time, you want to do one-acre grids, and here's why. You've got to find the variability in your fields. If you don't find the variability in your fields, what you're going to be doing is over-fertilizing some areas and under-fertilizing other areas. You're going to have some pH too high, some pH too low. You're going to have stuff all over the board, and you're not going to be properly investing your fertilizer dollars to maximize return. So, Here again, if I was your agronomist, I would just say to you, I will promise you it's going to pay off because once we catch that variability, now we can even things out in your field. So, I I mean, I would absolutely do it at least one time. I'm not saying you have to do it forever, but at least one time go to one acre grids and then eventually you can go to bigger grids, bigger zones, because you'll have that one acre grid stuff where you can even things out in your field using variable rate fertility or variable rate liming or whatever soil amendments you need. And then the last thing that I would say is when you are soil sampling, make sure that your probe is always straight up and down and you always go to the same depth. So it's up to you what depth you want, 4 inch, 6 inch, 8 inch, 10 inch, 12 inch, I don't care but I do care about we want consistent samples. So you don't want to pull one at four inches, the next one at eight inches and stuff like that. So just make a mark on your probe, always go to the same depth. It's pretty simple. So you do that, then run a complete analysis. And then if you need somebody to look at your tests, we're more than happy to do that for you. Otherwise, hopefully you attended our Ag PhD soils clinic last week and now you know how to read your own soil tests. But if not, we have many other opportunities for you in the future whether it's listening to us here on AgPHD radio watching us on ag PhD tv or attending any of our free soils clinics to help you understand what's going on in your soil how to read the soil test and how to best invest your fertilizer dollars okay let's get to the ag PhD mailbag it's
0: the mailbag All right. First one's just a comment. This comes from uh, SK who says, I work for a major egg chem manufacturer over in Poland and I just discovered your show last year. I'm responsible for hybrid wheat production here. A lot of new information on your show and it's cool seeing farming in a big scale or on a big scale. Just wanted to say thanks that you guys are doing it. Hey, thanks SK. We really appreciate that. Glad, glad you found the show and hopefully, uh, hopefully you continue to, uh, Find material that's interesting, and honestly, if you're working on hybrid wheat production, hopefully you come up with some really cool stuff, and we're talking about the things you've developed here in the coming years. I got a series of questions here from Evo. Uh, Evo's got three things, wanting to build P and wanting to build K in soils. Uh, Evo says, my cation exchange capacities vary between 10 and 20, and I can band, but I also can broadcast. Uh, First question, building P and K, can you do that with banding or do you have to go broadcast if you're trying to build base saturation K and overall soil phosphorus levels? Well, you can certainly, you can build however you want to build. I don't like the idea of
1: building in strips because how are you going to find those in the future? In other words, when you do soil testing in the future, if you end up in between those strips you're going to say oh my k is really low if you're in the strip you might say it's high but in reality you've got to look at my whole soil isn't that so in other words what i'm saying is if you just sample in the in the zone and you extrapolate that data over a whole acre you're going to assume you've got way more pounds out there than you truly have so it gets a little more complicated if you're building in a band but you can do that if you would like to
0: All right. The other questions he said uh, on the potassium side, I'd like to build my base saturation. What is the safe rate of potash that I can apply in a single application? Uh, Should I try and do this all in a year? Should I do it over a period of years? Well, how many total pounds doesn't say what the K levels are.
1: Yeah, there's no, there's no set level. I I would just say we want to do it as early as possible. So like for us, that means we put our K out in the fall, and then we plant spring crops like corn and soybeans and spring wheat. If you want to push it, I, I mean, you certainly can. But let's say like for us on our farm, we've gone as high as 1400 pounds per acre. I'm not going to recommend scale, that to anyone. On a small
0: scale and trying. Yeah, you right. just want to be cautious on that. You don't want to overdo things and hurt anything. And then the last question you had, I've got 71 parts per million zinc. Should I retest that soil, or do you think that's yes. possible?
1: Uh, it's possible. It's not likely that that's the case over the entire field, though. It's probably just a spot. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference.
0: How can you make the most profit ever on your soybean crop? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Wednesday, January 25th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and more fun, you won't want to miss this free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com.
2: Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash US crop.
0: listening to ag phd radio we're talking about soil sampling today but our phone lines are open if you have an agronomic question for us at 844-44-AG-PHD you can always email us as well radio at agphd.com let's head to the phone lines here we get trent over in ohio right now with us trent thanks for joining us yeah no problem well, soil sampling, as Brian talks about, Brian, Brian just mentioned uh, before the break here, you know what, I'd pull one-acre soil grids, and you guys don't farm small, Trent. Is, is one acre how, how tight you're going to get this thing, or what what kind of area are you covering with the soil sample? So we've actually
3: gone to half-acre grids, and the reason we do that is because our, our soil sampler convinced us that it was a lot more accurate once you got down to that half-acre grid size. And so what we've actually been doing is taking those half acre grids, but spacing our soil samples out five or six years, and then trying to use that better data to make, make, you know, we pay more for better data, but use that for a longer, more number of years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. I love it. We're we're taking it to the next level here and that's really good. Now, when you're you're looking at those half-acre grids, one of the questions that we get is, "Man, if I take those small grids, can I get application equipment to spread to those smaller grids?" Is a half acre just fine? I mean, it's still what, 20 some thousand square feet. So, it seems like a big area.
3: Yeah, so we're in we're in Northwest Ohio where, you know, banding is, is big right now and there's a lot, of, a lot of government money for banding. And so we've actually created a 60-foot a toolbar that we use and we use a, a Salford cart and we we uh, variable rate and band all our fertilizer. So it's not too hard to do those small grids.
0: That's awesome. All right. How long does it take you? Now, once you've got all the sample results back to set up your variable rate maps and have you found some cool programs to, to be able to make that job even even more easy for you?
3: Um, we're still using SMS, which you know it takes a while to learn, but once once you figured it out, you can really it can you can um, quickly make your your uh, variable rate maps and and make them really detailed. So that's what we've found is best.
0: What do you think the learning curve is? Is it is it a couple of years of trial and error to figure out what you need to do, or is it even faster?
3: Yeah, I mean, we started out using a retailer who did it for us, and so I learned from them, and then kind of spent a day training. I a couple days training and, and kind of went from there and did it on my own. And, and so, yeah, after after a year of doing it, I think I was pretty confident in it.
0: All right. So on a family farm, we, we talk about when you get certain jobs. And I know, like our dad, boy, he really didn't want to get out of the planter. He really didn't want to get out of the combine. But there are some other things that, you know what, he was really happy to let those jobs go. How <laughs> about fertility? Is that one of those jobs you could maybe access uh, at, at a little younger age?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think... When I graduated from college, I was, I was one of the first jobs I got I was trying to focus on that. And so obviously a computer program, you know, you, a younger generation has a little more ineptitude on that. So, yeah, I think that's a good good early job.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I, I think it's one that, that a lot of um, I, I don't know. Just in my experience, uh, our the older generations on our farm really didn't focus on that as much. And here's the other thing, uh, Trent. Maybe you feel the same way. I feel like we can make those older guys look really good by getting all the fertility things fixed, so every plant out there looks fantastic.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep, and it you know saves a lot of money if you can. You look at those those soil samples you have and show you have areas that are really high and don't need the fertility, there's a lot of cost savings you can find there.
0: Yeah, what do you see on that? Do you see that I'm still using the same amount of fertilizer, just putting it in the right place, or do you see we legitimately are using less fertilizer? Uh,
3: I think we're using less. Um, you, you know, soil samples are interesting. You'll have, you'll have areas that you you maintain and then you come back and soil sample them later and the levels are actually higher or you you think you've drawn them down some and they're still high. And so you find out you can get away with some of that. And also if you use manure, you find that, you know, you have your manure analysis and you're putting it out there and actually it can, it can increase your soil samples more than, it should by your analysis. So you see how manure can help save you money in that way.
0: Yeah. Manure is always tricky to, to know what's going to be first year release. What's going to, what's going to be coming down the road and when's it going to come? Nobody can really give exact answers on that. I suppose it's, it's really weather and, and soil health dependent.
3: Right. Yeah. I think it has, it, I mean, we use hog manure and chicken manure and it seems that whatever, um, you know, microbial activity you have in there seems to release more natural Um, fertility from the ground than you would get just with commercial fertility
0: yeah there are a lot of a lot of cool things with manure and man I've really enjoyed this conversation Trent just talking about uh, how you can utilize really small grid spaces to to narrow in on some of this variability and and fertilize accordingly to use the resources in the best way Uh, we're talking with Trent over in Ohio really exciting stuff Trent thanks for sharing a little bit about what you're doing look forward to talking to you again sometime
3: yeah no problem thanks for having me on
0: you bet I've got Matt over in Illinois, and Matt's probably been taking notes here, so I'll give him a chance to set the pen down and, and get started talking about what they're doing. How are you doing, Matt?
4: I'm doing good, Darren. How are you?
0: Good, good. One thing I know about you is you are absolutely a lifelong learner, always adjusting, always trying to improve things. So as you're thinking about this soil sampling, I'm sure you guys are doing things differently than you were five years, 10 years ago. What What are you gravitating towards now?
4: Yeah, we've um, we had been in grids um, for quite a while, and then we just it just felt like we were moving stuff around. Uh, you'd you know play whack a mole here, and then you'd play whack a mole there, and um, so we've actually moved to a a system that's based on you know soil zones, and then you know we kind of break those out based on yield zones within those soil zones, and then and then do uh, both a standard fertility sample and and some extra testing too.
0: You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the yield zones. Our our yield monitors are taking data points. Uh, I don't know. I mean, depending on on your equipment, it might be a thousand times in an acre, or certainly at least hundreds of times in an acre. That's that's a lot yeah. of data to to be able to work with.
4: It is, and 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 I and personally, I don't care for um yield based zones because i i feel like in a lot of cases you end up with the outcome that you see right so if it's a high yielding area you fertilize for high fertility if it's a low yielding area you you know you fertilize for low fertility and or low yield and so we we don't use them um to build the initial zones uh, but we do use them to delineate between you know our our greater zones i guess
0: sure sure. Okay. Do you have a a crop that you like to follow when you're going to do soil sampling or do you just, hey, it's this many acres every year or however much we can get to?
4: No, uh, typically what we would like to do is soil sample every acre every year, um, at least within, when I say every acre, within the context of our zones. So um, typically we pull zones based on on, uh, soil type and and water holding capacity and whether they, they hold or shed water that comes in during the season. Um, but so, you know, a typical 80 acre field, we may only be pulling eight to 10 total samples that we're actually sending to the lab. Now we'll pull more cores than that, but, um, sure. we're going to have, you know, let's say an eight acre zone and we're going to pull, you know, maybe three to five to 10 cores for that acre zone, depending on how big it is.
0: Yep. I know you've done some expansion with the farm. Have you changed anything as you get into different areas? Well,
4: uh, this is actually, this is one of them, um, that Moving to the SWAT zones or soil water and topography zones um, has been the biggest one because it's kind of universally applicable um, whether it's irrigated or non irrigated and and things like that so um, the things that we had done up here the grid sampling and things like that would still work in those other areas but uh, this seems to to kind of be universally be applicable and we don't have to adjust as many things per the area that we're in
0: so what if you don't mind sharing, what do you use for software to try and track all that and, and manage it and make your maps and such? Um,
4: so right now we have uh, one set of software that we use to actually make the zones and pull the cores. Um, and that's run through a company in Canada. And then we've used both SMS and then we're switching to a new company, which honestly I couldn't tell you what it is off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up, but, um, that they're tied directly into. So, uh, sure. But, any, any of the standard SMS-type softwares uh, would work, I think. Um, I'd have to look up that one. I didn't think to look it up before I before I got on here, to be honest.
0: So. No, there are a lot of tools out there. There's no doubt about it. I guess I just uh, – I always like to ask that because after the show, it seems like a lot of the feedback we end up getting is, oh, man, should have asked about what software they're using because guys are just curious and everybody's – I mean, there's always somebody out there looking to to switch. When I
4: think about it, I think it's GK Technologies, I think, oh, is
0: well. okay. Is. Yep, yep. That, I've heard that before, too. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, Matt, we'll let you run, but thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Good talking to you. Yes, sir, Darren. Thank you. Talking about soil sampling on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Palmer Amaranth, four counts of yield, theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection
0: What can you do to build a better wheat crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, January 26th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, and the ways to make your crop more resistant to stress, like drought and disease. We'll be covering all of this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us radio at agphd.com. And if you want to join the discussion on soil sampling, you can sure talk about that or really any agronomic topic. We get lots of samples that get sent to us, whether it's soil samples, manure analysis, uh, water analysis. And I got a water test in front of me here that came from Cody Cody said, guys, I'm sending you a water test. Um, I, I'm at a ground a customer that I work with. Uh, he's using well water uh, for his spray system. And every two weeks during the spray season, they're having to clean their tanks and equipments. They're just loaded up with bacteria, moss, uh, and other buildup. Uh, the local plumber suggests they install a water softener system. It'll cost about $10,000 to be able to run enough water through to fill their sprayer and so forth. Uh, I know you guys talk about water treatment products, um, uh, water rate and BioPrepper, are common ones used. Just wondering, what are your thoughts? Do you think water treatment products that we're just using, you know, at pretty low rates and are very inexpensive would work? Do you think we need some sort of complicated system? Uh, what What would you do if this was your water sample?
1: Well, I wonder if they're drinking this water. That's one of my questions. And so... Here's, here's kind of the way I look at stuff. If it's for my consumption, because I've, I've drank well water most of my life. If it's for my consumption, then I'm even more concerned about what's going on in the field. So I wanted to talk about that first. And if I'm worried, then I'm either going to spend the money on some kind of system or better yet, if I can, I try to dig a deeper well and see if I got better water quality. So this is one of the things if you talk to the well drillers in your area, they might know. And they might be able to tell you, oh, yeah, there is some better water down at whatever depth. And you can certainly run a test on that. It'll cost a little bit of money, but at least that would then you would know. But if it's me, I'm going to probably try to solve the problem that way, finding better water first. Otherwise, um, next thing I would try would be... The simple water treatment things, like we talk about waterite, for example, or there are plenty of other water conditioners out there. So I'd probably be doing that next, and then the last thing that I would probably do is spend all that money on this system because I don't know. D- Darren, did you tell me again, what kind of system were they talking about?
0: Talking about a water softener type system, so I'm not sure. Yeah, but
1: there are different ways to do that. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm I know just I'm...
0: reverse osmosis. There's lots of different types of systems out there, and to have one big enough. To be able to run enough volume through to, to use, fill a sprayer, that's that's expensive. There's no doubt about that. I always question what kind of waste product there would be out exactly. of that. Uh, and then the other thing, there's arsenic in this water at a level above whatever the tolerable limit is. Yep. That makes me very nervous. Like you mentioned just about, are you drinking this water? I'd be really concerned about that. And, you know, that'd be a spot where where we live, you can hook into the rural water system. Now, there's some downsides of that. Chlorine, higher pH water, higher sodium levels, those kinds of things. But those we've had pretty good luck with water treatment plants or water treatment products like Water Right and Bioprep.
1: Yeah, but the only
0: reason why the pH went up
1: and the so, the sodium would be up would be because of that water treatment so uh, it, that that's kind of where we're going with all this can you put in a system that would do something like what our rural water system does for all these hunt whatever it is hundreds of farmers out here could you put in something that would get you somewhat similar results sure yeah again i come back to boy if i'm drinking this water i'm willing to invest a lot more than if it's just spray water because when you look at all the things that are in there uh it's not great for
0: drinking nope nope that's for sure okay i got a series of questions here that came in from leaf uh said guys i've got some soil tests here they're a pretty good representation of our farm we're we're trying to hit um Well, we'd like to get 300 and 100, 300 bushel corn, 100 bushel beans. Currently at 250 on corn, 75 on beans, nothing to complain about. We're in no-till and we plan on variable rating our P&K this spring, also putting on 26 gallons at 32% along with 4 gallons of ATS pre-emerge and another shot like that uh, with our sprayer side dress time on corn. Now uh, instead of Applying the ATS and risk mixing issues with the pre-emerge, we were looking to perhaps flat-spread phosphorus. I haven't really phosphorus. had a lot of that problem in the past, but go ahead. Uh, we're going to sp- flat-spread phosphorus. We have some fields with lower Wait. Uh, lower on K, and variable rate would make sense for the K, but uh, we're going to flat-spread some phosphorus out there. Yeah, but what does that have to do with the ammonium thiosulfate? Uh, just talking about the whole program here.
1: Yeah, I know, but they just said rather than do, using ammonium thiosulfate and worry about the mixing issue, they're going to flat-spread phosphorus.
0: Yeah, Well, those are two different things. And well, and add calcium sulfate as the sulfur source when they're applying fertilizer this spring. So instead oh. of having to mix the sulfur in over there, they were going to add okay. uh, gypsum in. That's why that I'm thing. asking the question. Please. So just yep. wondering, uh, would you use calcium sulfate on the soybean ground as well? Uh, would you still advise we stay with the ammonium thiosulfate? Thiosulfate on the 32%, and then anything else that stands out on the tests. Okay. So let's
1: see. I'm looking for cation exchange capacity. uh, He just made one other comment. He sent
0: another email in too, and he said, said, Oh, I should mention uh, the reason that we like to do stuff in the spring is just that we're putting cattle out on the corn stalks and even onto some of the bean stubble in the winter. So Fall yeah. fertilizer application doesn't work.
1: Yeah, it's fine. Um, this is relatively light soil. At the heaviest, it's 16 for cation exchange capacity. At the low, it's 10. So without ample rainfall, and these they're they're from Illinois, right? The way it looks. Didn't
0: it. say on the t- okay. And here well, but it, it says on the soil test. Yeah.
1: So I'm assuming Illinois. So I, I I get that where we farm, I'd be. You're going to have a difficult time because you just don't have enough rainfall for light soils like that or lighter. We'd we'd basically consider that a medium to light textured soil. Anyway, so just some of the things when i look at this it's the variability like we talk about all the time for example on soil ph on the low end you're at 5.5 your average is 6.6 that's great it's just i might go touch up a few of those light spots and it is not going to take much lime to fix those really light spots or really they're all light but um 5.5 pH you aren't going to need much lime in those spots but get that taken care of so that's one of the things I see why he's asking so much about sulfur when you have a medium to light soil sulfur is not going to stick around and the sulfur levels here are single digits so gotta obviously address sulfur Is the little bit you're going to get in ammonium thiosulfate going to be enough? Probably not. So I can see why, you know, adding some gypsum, I get that because what we're looking at here is higher levels of magnesium. But don't get too carried away on that because the magnesium at the low end, 24%, at the high end, 38%. But again, medium to light soil so it isn't going to take much, and you're going to be able to change things fairly quickly. Potassium at the low is 3.6 base saturation K and uh, 340 pounds. So in that kind of lighter to medium soil, that's you're right at the bottom there. So just don't be skimping on K as you move forward. With phosphorus, I'm going to tell you the same thing. Yeah, you got as much as 200 pounds out there in a spot, but you're down to 50 pounds in another spot. So on a part per million basis, that's only 25. That is not a lot. So if it's me, I'm going to be pushing the phosphorus pretty hard. I'm going to be at least maintaining and hopefully gaining maybe just a hair on the potassium, at least in those low spots, making sure I'm addressing sulfur. And then the final thing would be zinc. So, right now, on average, you're at 3 parts per million. So, let's just say, for example, we get our phosphorus levels between 50 and 100 parts per million. Well, on a 10 to 1 ratio, you got to be 5 to 10 parts per million with zinc. So, I'm going to be working on the zinc a little bit. I'd also take a look at copper and boron. Copper, we're at 1 part per million, and boron, we're at 0.3. That's just not enough. So, when we start talking about big-time yields, where you're going, um, uh, copper is and manganese are important just like potassium is for stock quality because my assumption when you're going to when you're going to push for 300 bushel corn you're also going to push planting population so that's part of why i'm talking about really keeping that k level high in your light to medium soil personally 300 bushel corn if i'm your agronomist i'm going to tell you hey minimum six percent base saturation k to make sure the crop doesn't fall over and then keep those copper and boron levels up at least a little bit. Don't have to get carried away, but you definitely need some.
0: All right. Thanks for the email. Really appreciate that. We'll be back with more of your calls and questions coming up after this. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school.
2: It's only five
0: bucks. How bad. can it. Oh Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance. So you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for.
2: No, 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 no. no.
0: Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. How can you make the most profit ever on your soybean crop? I'm Darren Hefty give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD soybean agronomy workshop. It's Wednesday, January 25th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and more fun, you won't want to miss this free Ag PhD soybean agronomy workshop. Learn more at agphd.com.
2: The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule Pyroxysulfo that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and
5: follow all label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com.
2: You put everything you've got into securing the next generation of your farm. So why not take it a step further? Commodity Classic is America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused educational and agricultural experience, where you'll find thought-provoking education, a huge trade show with the latest ag technology, and networking with thousands of farmers who are preparing for the next generation just like you. Join us in Orlando March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're in the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us radio at agphd.com. All right. Uh, Got a variable rate question here from Kirby down in Southeast Kansas. So here we go. First equipment, Brian. Kirby says, I've got a dry spreader truck. That I can spread one product at a time. I've got a Montag cart that I can put on one dry product in a deep band at a time, and I can pull that as I'm applying anhydrous. So, assuming I'm going to be putting on anhydrous, I can broadcast spread one thing ahead of the anhydrous, and then with the anhydrous application, I can deep band one dry product. So, I need to put on P and K. I'd love to variable rate P and K. Uh, one of them is going to have to be deep banded. The other one's going to get broadcast spread. So, my question is which one do you do? Which one moves easier in the soil?
1: Uh, well, there's really no question. Potassium is going to move easier than phosphorus. So, I would put my phosphorus in the deep band so it's down where you need it. And that's the direction that I would go. We used to be in the exact same spot that you were in, and then we started doing all these different nutrients, everything from boron and copper and, you know, in addition and sulfur, in addition to the P and the K. And of course, we wanted to variable rate stuff. So that's when we had to make a little change, so or at least addition to our operation. So we got a used floater a few years ago, so now we can variable rate just about anything on the go, and that's pretty nice. But like I say, we were in the exact same boat that you were in and yeah, now you can address P and K, but my question for you is how about all the other nutrients? It's something for you to look at as you move forward. And it's just, you know, one of those things you can maybe put on your wish list where, hey, if I can go along and spread three products or five products all at different rates as I go through the field, Uh, that could be really helpful because you definitely don't want to overdo it and waste money. But by the same token, uh, you got to get enough stuff out there so you can maximize return. And in some cases, like when we start talking about boron, zinc, copper, I I mean, it might be a dollar's worth of stuff you need. And in other spots, $8 worth of stuff. Well, if you yeah you just you want to get it dialed in right so you maximize yield maximize return on investment and that kind of thing so anyway that's my only suggestion for you as you move forward in your operation over the next few years to at least be thinking about
0: all right i got a herbicide question for you here brian so might have a piece of paper handy i'll talk this through this is from kent over in northwest wisconsin he said, All right, first of all, soils. We've got silt loam soils, 7 to 7.5 pH, and our CECs are right around 10. We've got a herbicide program here for soybeans that, that our agronomist worked up for us, and just kind of curious your thoughts. Our problem weeds have been water hemp, velvet leaf, and yellow nut sedge. I've got a pre-emerge, post-emerge program, so a two-shot program here, and then also I'm just kind of curious if doubling up on some of these actives is a problem for corn the following year, like the PPOs, for example, if I'm doing a PPO down, a PPO post, uh, or if the post-trip would provide enough burn down as is uh, spraying three weeks after emergence. So here's our program. We're doing pre-plant incorporated, Authority MTZ, plus Treflan. What do you think of the pre-program to start with?
1: Authority MTZ plus Trefland Pre-Plan Incorporated? Yep. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's fantastic. Okay. But let's continue.
0: Okay, so the pre looks pretty good. We start out with three modes of action there.
1: And when we say pre, PPI. Preplan, Pre-plan Incorporated. pre Incorporated. Yep. Okay, yep. go and ahead. And
0: now the other question was, is that okay incorporating the authority? Do you have any concerns? No. Nope, just keep it it relatively shallow, but nope, I'm not worried. Okay. We do it all the time. Then post-emerge, we're going to run with Prefix, Thundermaster, and Clethodim along with the additives. So we got clethodim in there for volunteer corn control. Also any escape grasses, but let's face it, if you've got a decent rate of authority and a, a good rate of treflin, the treflin or trifluralin would be the best piece there. Okay. The authority would add a little bit, so the clethodim mainly for volunteer corn. But when you look at prefix and thundermaster, I know there's there's lots of different names, and I okay, apologize. Let's,
1: well, uh, no, let's let's tell let's talk about what's in there. So let's step back. Authority MTZ is authority. Plus metribuzin, so that'd be like the old Sencor. And then he said trifluralin along with it. That's a mix we do on our farm all the time. Works great. Post-emerge, the prefix, that's a combination of, and I'm just, rather than having to every time tell you, oh, this is the active ingredient from whatever, I'm just going to say it so you know that everything's prefaced by that. Uh, Prefix is Flexstar and Dual. Thundermaster is Roundup and Pursuit. Now I realize it's not the name brands that's in there but you understand where I'm going I don't want to use active ingredients because people get confused by that. So the one active ingredient I think most people do know is clofathrim that'd be the same uh, that uh, that Select or Select Max has. Okay so anyway Water Hemp you've got the very best PPI program in the world. So what you put down that's exactly what I would put down if Water Hemp is my number one thing and I'm assuming it's your number one problem because that was mentioned first. The challenge is that Authority MTZ plus trifluralin is not going to be great on velvet leaf. It'll have a little activity it's not going to have a whole lot of activity on nutsedge. So that's the reason why your agronomist said, hey, post-emerge, we got to get something that's got dual in there, which Prefix does. And that's going to have, surprisingly, halfway decent activity on nutsedge. And then on the velvetleaf side, well, Pursuit's got activity, pretty good activity, and Flexstar has some activity. So it's it may not be perfect, and what you might have to do later on would possibly be come back with something like Resource or Cadet to clean up any remaining velvetleaf. With the sedge, the biggest thing that I'll tell you there is a lot of times we just see that in low wet soils, and if you fix the drainage then the nut sedge goes away over time that's been our experience so you've got a fantastic program here for water water hemp you got a what i'd call a good program for velvetleaf and nut sedge the key thing is going to be to spray that post relatively early the later you go the less control you're going to have on the nut sedge and possibly on the velvet leaf if it gets any size to it at all. So just don't go late on that post shot.
0: Okay. Uh, Very good. Uh, All right. i got a fertility question for you on corn silage, if you want to be ready for that one, Brian. This one comes from Kevin down in southwest Missouri. He said, I'm trying to do a little planning for this summer. And I've got a few questions for you. Uh, we're growing Eastern Gamma grass, which is a warm season grass. And you don't have that on your fertilizer removal app. Um, he's down in Southwest Missouri. The University of Missouri recommends just use the same fertilizer program as you would corn silage. Nutrient removal is similar as corn silage with this other warm season grass. So okay. I, I thought that was kind of neat. Um So what's the question? I guess the question is, uh, should I go with the corn silage recommendation? Do you have anything else that you would would compare it to for a warm season grass? Would you send in samples of the grass that you cut and measure tonnage and Hmm. go through that kind of process to figure out what nutrient removal is? Uh, And then uh, then want to talk about sorghum uh, as well as get a separate question here. Okay. So what would I do if it was my farm?
1: Would I take uh, samples of the grass and send it in, I honestly, no, I probably wouldn't. Just pull soil
0: samples before and after to see what you took out? Well,
1: uh, you could do that. But I I mean, we sample on a very regular basis on our farm and I'm just going to make sure that I have good levels in the soil of all the normal nutrients that I would want out there for corn. And as long as I do that, I know I'm not going to be lacking on my P and K. So then it really comes back to with all grasses, nitrogen and sulfur. Those are the two biggest things that I'm a, I, I would probably experiment with to say, would a little more nitrogen and sulfur benefit me? Now, if you're listening and you're like, oh my goodness, Brian just said, put on more nitrogen and we're worried that's going to contaminate somebody's water. I'm not worried about that at all. Not with the grass. Those roots are going to suck that up. I'm not, I'm not concerned. So I would just say, experiment a little bit with your nitrogen and sulfur and pushing it.
0: That's what I would do. All right, Uh, Kevin also has another question about sorghum or Milo and just wondering about herbicides that can be used pre-emerge, if there's anything new coming up post-emerge that he could use potentially in Milo down the road too. So we'll talk about that and we'll also continue answering your calls and questions
2: at 844-44-AG-PHD. Cold weather draining your batteries? Nothing delivers peace of mind like a quality battery charger from c Going on now? Buy three batteries and get the charger on sale. Learn more or shop online at deerequipment.com. c your local John Deere dealer of choice. Offer runs until May 2023. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator closing wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051.
0: What can you do to build a better wheat crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, January 26th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, and the ways to make your crop more resistant to stress like drought and disease. We'll be covering all of this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com.
2: This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast. So
0: when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge
2: planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gainground.
0: Thanks for listening to AgPhD radio today. Our phone lines are still open here at 844 44 AgPhD if you have an agronomic question, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Uh, Kevin from Southwest Missouri had a few questions uh, on fertilizing eastern gamma grass and also. Uh, his last question here: I was wondering, what kind of pre's would you recommend for Milo? Any specific products you guys like? And also, are there any post-emerge options? Is there anything coming that that I should consider?
1: Okay, so for Milo or grain sorghum, we're gonna usually talk about Verdict pre-emerge. I really like that because it's got Outlook Group 15, and you got Sharpen in there, so that that's very very helpful. Now verdict doesn't have a full rate of outlook in there so if it's me i'm spiking a little more outlook with it so that's what i would do it keeps the cost down rather than going full rate of outlook plus sharpen the verdict is basically discounted because it's a premix so that's what i would do now you, instead you could certainly run dual if you want to and all this has to be on safened uh safened sorghum seed Okay, And then post-emerge, people over the years have traditionally run Dicamba, but you can only use a half a pint and throw in a little atrazine with it, like a pint, so half a pound. Uh, You can do that if you want to, but personally, I'd rather have you go Husky FX. So then you're going to get three modes of action. you got Husky HPPD, you've got Buctrel in there, and you've got Starane uh, that's really going to help you on kochia. So that's our when we were growing up, on the farm, a lot of times, if it was this great program, it just this word popped into my head. Uh, our dad would go, "Well, that's the Cadillac program." I don't know if that's uh, that, that that term should be used anymore, but it's the top program that you're going to get in Milo or or grain sorghum. Verdict down with a full rate of husk or full, uh, spiked up to a full rate of outlook plus. Husky FX over the top. It's going to cost a little money, but that would be fantastic. Otherwise, post-emerge, you've got Facet L that could help you with grass. And if you wanted to run something different like Starane NXT, or I mean, there are some other options for broadleaves. But I just personally like this program because I like great weed control. Now, in terms of other things and anything coming down the pike, there have been three different traits out there that people are talking about for sorghum uh, let's see we've got eye growth from advanta we've got inzin from corteva and we got double team from snw so with the eye growth you can use imiflex so basically and uh that'd be similar to like a pursuit and with the inzin you can use zest that'd be accent and uh, I mean, similar to accent. And then double team, it'd be first act, and that is basically the same thing as a sure two. So it doesn't really help us with the number one weed problem that most people with sorghum will talk to me about, and that's waterhemp or palmer, uh, basically about the same thing. And weed number two that most Milo producers will talk to me about is kochia. So, none of these will help you on water hemp, palmer, or kochia. So, I mean, they're, they're nice. And if you want to go with something like that in the future and plant the right seed, and then you can use these other, these other products, that's okay. But honestly, if you just tell me, hey, I got water hemp, palmer, or kochia, I'm going to tell you verdict down, Husky effects over the top, and you got a fantastic program. You should have no weed issues, or no weed issues really to speak of after that.
0: All right, thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. Uh, I got this one from Troy, and he said, I really appreciated your soils clinic last week. I just wanted to ask you about the phosphorus to zinc ratio. In the past, uh, I've heard you and others talk about a 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc ratio. So 50 parts per million P1 Bray would be five parts per million desired zinc level to reach max yield that kind of thing Uh, but as you move to this Malik 3 test those phosphorus levels are higher so I'm just kind of curious if Malik 3 is similar to a Bray P2 yeah but uh, the
1: zinc yes it is but the zinc levels are also higher so we've actually found the 10 to 1 still holds fairly well I, I mean on some of our stuff honestly 5 to 1 8 to 1 somewhere in there has been really good But here's the problem. If you say, you know what, Um, I've seen on some of my data, it looks like 5 to 1 ratio is the best. Well, if your phosphorus level is pretty high, let's just say that it's at 100. And you go, all right, well, 5 to 1 means I get to be all the way up to 20 parts per million on zinc. Okay, that's fine, but it's going to take you decades to get that 20 all the way back down to even 5 or 10 on zinc whereas in a couple three years you could get your 100 parts per million on phosphorus down to 50 or 30 or whatever so my point is if you've got high levels of phosphorus and especially if you're talking much higher than that 150 200 on phosphorus you don't want to be pushing your zinc real far because otherwise it'll take you a lifetime and then some we're at our soil skeletic the other day we we're giving examples for people that we looked at soil tests and they had astronomically high levels of zinc and copper and i started running the math and like on somebody's copper test it was literally 700 years worth of copper figuring high yield for corn and soybeans and on i don't remember what the zinc was it was 300 years or just some ridiculous thing so don't get yourself too carried away with what you do on zinc but again with a malik three test yeah, your phosphorus level is going to be higher because it compares more to a P2, but your zinc level on the, the Malik test will also typically be higher and quite a bit higher than on a DTPA test, so it kind of balances out.
0: All right, so back to the phone lines here. we got Wes over in southern Indiana on with a question. Wes, how you doing?
1: Great,
5: great. How are you all today?
0: Good, good. What can we help you with?
5: My dad and I recently purchased a side dress applicator, a liquid applicator, We are, it had the injection coulter and an injection, injector on it. We're wanting to put something different on there and was just, we're really struggling trying to figure out what is the most efficient, best way for us to side dress our nitrogen.
1: Well, that's going to vary depending on the year. Now you're in Indiana. What, what do you normally get for rainfall in a, in a whole year? Is it 40 inches? Is it more than that?
5: I would say 40 to 50. Okay. Um, we typically do not have much. We typically are getting rainfall at that side there Yes. Time.
1: Okay. And that's really where my question goes. Because like for me, we will inject on our farm, and I like that in some years, like this last year, we in, we put our nitrogen out, didn't have rain for a month. The odds that that's going to happen to you are really, really slim. So if you want to go with something like a wide drop. We're, we, we we support that. The data looks good. We like that. It's easy. It's quick. Um, so if you want to go that direction, I get it. The injection coulter, certainly fine. Uh, that Your your nitrogen's more protected that way. But again, when you're getting rainfall on a pretty regular basis, probably not a big deal for you like it would be for me.
5: We have been putting it on with a knife in between the rows, what we have yep. been doing. yep. Done. yep. But since we upgraded bars, there's no, we do not have any attachments on there. So it's wide open, and we're just really liking the efficiency, the way that it looks, of the wide drop. Yeah. And wanted to, but we're a little nervous about pouring that much nitrogen on top of the ground.
1: How much nitrogen?
5: We're going to be putting uh, 40 to 50 gallons of 32.
1: Oh, yeah. We do that all the time.
5: <laughs>
1: okay. So, okay. so I'm, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, let me ask you though what how heavy is your soil? Do you know what your cation exchange capacity is by chance?
5: We have two to four cc's.
1: okay, so that's where I I would be concerned. How in the past have you run forty to fifty gallons with your coulter?
5: Yes, it's okay. always uh, stabilized
1: yeah, okay even with it being stabilized, it still is going to concern me if your cation exchange capacity is only 2 to 4 because that's basically pure sand. So is this irrigated by chance or is it just – or is it non-irrigated?
5: Some of it is irrigated, yes.
1: Okay. If it's irrigated, honestly, if it's me, every single time I run the pivot, I'm putting nitrogen through. That's what I would do. That that That's the most efficient way for you. Um, If you want to do this, you certainly can, but at 40 to 50 gallons, you're putting 150 to 180 pounds of nitrogen out there. That's a lot for a two to four CEC soil. And so again, you can stabilize it. You can certainly do whatever you want to do. If it was me on my farm, I'd be nervous as heck about that. So and a lot of our soils, we're 20 to 30 CEC, so I'm not worried about losing it. So if it's me, if I, so if I was you, I'd still stabilize the nitrogen, and I might do two shots uh, of uh, side dress rather than just one. That's my thought.
5: Okay. Well, two is our low end, and we're about 12 on the high end. So. Sure. Okay. okay. Still,
1: okay. relatively light soil. Just be careful because yeah. that's a lot of N for one shot. Hey, Wes, we get around, but thanks okay. a lot for the call. Really appreciate
0: it. Best of luck to you out there. Well, thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.